Welcome to the Weekly Retail Politics Podcast, where we bring you, one download at a time, the best political information about the issues in your nation. I'm your host, Jerry Shields, and today we will discuss the politics of homelessness with University of Pennsylvania professor Dennis Colhane, considered one of the nation's foremost scholars on this national problem. Welcome, Professor Colhane. How are you? Thanks for coming to the podcast. I'm good. Thank you for having me. You got your start in this issue back in 1983 uh, at a place I'm very familiar with, the St. Francis Inn on Kensington Avenue in uh, on the edge of my neighborhood where I grew up. And uh, everybody knows that area in the country if they saw the first Rocky movie, which was filmed um, right down the street. You got into this when homelessness really started to explode. You know, the manufacturing jobs were leaving, people getting retail uh, jobs, affordable housing, housing prices went up. We had high unemployment, explosion of substance abuse. And then under the Reagan administration, the cuts to federal housing and social services program. And then the biggest one I, I, I thought was when we were dumping the mentally ill on the streets to be handled by community services uh, organizations who were just overwhelmed. Where does all this stand today? Where does the homelessness uh, crisis stand today in America? On any given day, we have about 700,000 people who are homeless. Um, you know, the official count that the HUD puts out is about 550,000, 600,000, but we know that we are undercounting people who are unsheltered. And probably the biggest uh, crisis that we're experiencing right now is this huge growth in what we call unsheltered homelessness, people who are living outside on the streets or in encampments. It, the number of those folks has increased by about 75% since 2014. Uh, and most of that has been on the West Coast. Um, and the about 75% of the homeless in California are unsheltered. Mm. So it's a, a quite a big problem, very visible. It's having a, a significant impact on public life mm -hmm. uh, and uh, has been drawing a tremendous amount of attention. But in, in the Northeast and the Midwest, most of the homeless population is in shelters. Mm -hmm. um, so that's much more of the way the problem is, uh, is seen uh, or unseen. Um, but yeah, so we've, we, we've had some progress, uh, but we've also had some uh, setbacks as well. So it's interesting you mentioned California because Los Angeles a few years back had a very interesting referendum where voters agreed to tax themselves a quarter of a penny on all sales. All that money uh, projected to go to the homeless. I think they said it would bring in a, a couple, three billion uh, over 10 years for job services, housing services. And the interesting part of it is like, you know, in politics, if, if politicians raise taxes, uh, they get thrown out. But if the people tax themselves, that's a different story. Where does that referendum stand? Where does that issue stand out there? Because they have one half of the homeless that are on the streets in America. Where does that, uh, where does that issue stand for them? Yeah. So that tax uh, was added to the sales tax in Los Angeles County. Uh, and it is it, it generates about three hundred and fifty million dollars a year in revenue. Uh, although because of the COVID crisis and the economic shutdowns that have happened, um, you know, sales tax 
revenue is significantly depleted this year. Uh, so uh, they really did not have that same level of funding. But uh, in, in you know pre-COVID, it was generating about three hundred and fifty million dollars a year. I believe it's it's uh, we're now in the fifth year of that um, of using that revenue. So four years have, co have completed. Um, and um, this, the county has used it to fund a variety of initiatives, but especially focused on permanent housing uh, and for some rapid rehousing programs. Um, and the, the, let's see, they've, uh, I just, I'm one of the people who does the evaluation of that initiative. Mm -hmm. We're just wrapping up the year four mm -hmm. evaluation. And, uh, you know, basically, I think they're housing about 20,000 people a year. Wow. with those resources. Mm -hmm. um, but the problem is that uh, Los Angeles has had two years in a row of uh, 13, 14% increases in homelessness. So entries into homelessness are exceeding the exits. Wow. Uh, and so the problem, despite this you know, infusion of money, the problem is actually continuing to grow. That That's amazing because, you know, when you see that, you say, wow, 350 million a year. And then you keep reading that they're having this problem. So you're just saying that they're overwhelmed. Yes, they are overwhelmed. Um, I think that the main co uh, homelessness coordinating uh, group there, which is called LASA, Los Angeles Homeless Services Authority, mm -hmm. they estimate that they need an additional 500 million a year in order to you know meet the needs of the population so the 350 million i think is is welcome but uh you know it, it's it's falling short uh but the other big initiative is they also passed uh another uh referendum as a bond issue right a bond issue that's right, right. two uh, i think it's two billion dollars mm -hmm. um and and so they're just starting that now this will be the first year that they're going to do um, 10,000 or the first, excuse me, I think the total number of units is going to be 10,000 over the next five years. Wow. And and do you see that making a dent in it? Yeah, it has to be targeted to the chronically homeless, the long-term homeless, because that really is what drives the, the daily number is sort of the accumulated people who mm -hmm. can't get out on their own. Um, you know, most people resolve their home mm -hmm. homelessness on their own and they do so relatively quickly. So there's a tremendous amount of churn, people coming and going and coming and going. Um, but over time, this chronic homeless population accumulates mm -hmm. little by little. And, you know, it's what most people think of when they think of homelessness, they think of chronic homelessness. It's much more visible. Uh, it, it's much more long term. And um, these are folks who generally can't get out without some kind of formal assistance. And what is driving it right now? I was saying about, you know, 1983 and all those things that were happening. What is driving the chronic homelessness right now? Is it the affordable housing? Well, it is ultimately an affordable housing problem. If, if there were cheap rooms and people had some basic income to pay for those cheap rooms, like we had back in the era of what we call skid row homelessness. Mm -hmm. You know, most people who were quote unquote on skid row actually had rented rooms right. that they lived in, that very cheap flop house hotel type right. place. Right. Um, and those have disappeared. Mm -hmm. They were mostly converted during the uh, urban renewal period in the 70s. Uh, so that stock of cheap single rooms is a big driver here because there's always people who have, you know, 
limited income, uh, but there's no units that they can afford with that limited income. Right, right. Um, so it is, it is the combination. You know, when we say lack of affordable housing, there's two parts to that equation. It's the price of the housing and it's the income of the people. Right. And, uh, and, and what's really happened since the late 70s, as, as you mentioned, it started really in the late 70s, early 80s, is housing prices have been going up greater than inflation and incomes have been losing ground yeah. against it. Yeah. The thing that was interesting about that referendum is I was wondering why other cities haven't adopted it. And I talked to the, the head of the homeless agency in Philly, and I've talked to the head of the homeless agency in Baltimore, and they both say, you know, uh, we can't do that. We don't have the authority to do that. It's the state in Maryland. And and, and I, I, why aren't more cities doing this, do you think? Well, I, I guess... Uh, that's a good point. Interesting point that, you know, I guess the county may have that authority in California. They certainly have this, you know, tradition of these referendums in California uh, that have that have led to a lot of different social policies. Um, but I actually don't have an answer for you as to why more places don't do it other than, um, you know, just general opposition to taxes right. uh, among the voters. But um uh, there certainly are, you know, local communities that are spending considerable amounts of money mm-hmm. on the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, there's, there's it's having an impact on communities, whether they want to be taxed for it or not. Right. And um, is there a lack of political will to do this? I mean, I, I was sitting in, in the office and they were saying, well, you know, we don't have the authority. Why not make the authority? You know, the problem is uh, is bigger than. What even Los Angeles, for example, is able to do with its, you know, quarter cent sales tax. Um, And, you know, the local governments really generally don't have the revenue capacity to be housing, to be developing housing and affordable housing. They look to the federal government for that. Uh, And in some states, the state government also does some some funding of affordable housing and vouchers. But um, most communities have to look to the federal government for that kind of assistance. And it's just a limited amount of money uh, to go around and and it falls far short of the need. How is, we talked about the Reagan um, you know, era and the cuts to federal housing and social services programs. What is it, what is it like now with the federal government, dealing with the federal government and the state governments? Well, so the, you know, I guess I take that in two directions. One is there's like the fundamental causes of homelessness, which are really a, a lack of, a, you know, safety nets, and and the and the, the fact that the safety nets we have don't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we still have underfunding of of the, the housing, of course, as we won. Um, only about twenty five percent of the people who are eligible for public housing or for a housing voucher are getting one. Seventy five percent of the population just simply can't get one because they're not available. Mm. Uh, and that and, and and the coverage of that program has actually been shrinking. It's not, as I say, it's down to about one out of four. Mm. Um, and in the health and human services side, of course, we have the issue of, you know, people with mental health and substance abuse disabilities um, who are not able to access treatment mm-hmm. or the treatment supports are too limited. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, the other thing is, about incomes, you know, uh, the basic income safety nets don't cover very far. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people, first of all, it's very difficult to get 
into the disability program, right? the uh, SSI, Supplemental right. Security Income Program, mm-hmm. it pays only about $700 a month. Right. So it's, you know, it's about 35% below the poverty level. Hmm. Uh, so people really can't afford rent, even if they're lucky to get the disability income. Hmm. Um, so it doesn't cover enough people, doesn't provide enough money. And then, you know, we have people who are jobless or who are working part-time, not getting enough hours. Mm-hmm. They, you know, the nature of the labor market is such that, you know, they can't really get a secure toehold. Uh, and they go from part-time and temporary contract work uh, that's intermittent. It's often not enough hours. It's low-paying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those jobs, by the way, also tend not to be covered by unemployment insurance. Yeah. So when they do lose a job, they can't pick up unemployment insurance. Mm-hmm. And, and we don't have, of course, um, welfare uh, cash for, for uh, single adults in this country. Right. Um, my interest in homelessness and you're from Philly, uh, you're in Philly now and I grew up in Philly. I was walking down the street one night. It was a bitterly cold February night and I was, I was about 16 and I, I stopped in a subway, um, kind of a covered area there. And there were just like, just dozens of people laying on the steps. And as I was going down, I could see they were like older to be my grand, they could be my grandmother. They were young enough to be my sister. And I did this at 13th street, which is about eight blocks from independence hall where this nation started. And I just, I remember riding that, that subway and saying, you know, I think last count here, we have 788 billionaires, billionaires in this country, richest nation on the planet. And we have people sleeping on the streets that doesn't, seem to make sense to me. Why is that, do you think? Well, I mean, it's it's the inequality problem, which has just only grown over the last 30 years, uh, where the top of the country is, is getting more and more of the income and more and more of the wealth. Uh, it's concentrated in a small group. Um, and the people at the bottom um, have seen, you know, their income shrink, their, their share of the total income shrink. Uh, so, you know, and that inequality basically gets completely reflected in the housing market because people take their money, what they have, and they go into the housing market and, uh, especially the wealthier people and the tech workers on the West coast in particular are driving up housing demand Mm -hmm. and prices. Mm -hmm. Uh, so places like San Francisco and Seattle and, Mm -hmm. uh, Los Angeles, uh, these places uh, you know, have been gentrifying, uh, the, the, whatever buildings are around have been redeveloped for, you know, these higher cost customers. Right. Uh, and, um, you know, there's no trickling down of, uh, vacant housing to the lowest income people as a functioning housing market normally would, because you would be adding net new units. Um, but we're not adding enough net new units. Uh, we're recycling existing units to higher cost customers. And um, that is, uh, you know, so that the whole inequality problem is getting reflected in the housing market and uh, has created this supply problem and price problem. Now, one third, we were talking about mentally ill and uh, people with addictions. One third of the people out there are said to have that. What can be done? What, what's lacking in that area? For people who have uh, severe mental illnesses like schizophrenia or major 
psychosis, affective psychoses like uh, mania or depression. Um, many of these folks are pretty disabled by uh, those conditions. And um, so their only source of income is the SSI program, as I mentioned, and it just pays too little mm -hmm. for them to afford housing out of that check alone. Mm -hmm. um, also, because they have, of these conditions, they're not able to often live in a shared living arrangement yeah. um, with their families who mm -hmm. sometimes don't want to live with them mm -hmm. uh, or with roommates. And, and they have a hard, harder time, of course, having uh, partners. Um, and so they're sort of on their own. Mm -hmm. And uh, they just simply don't have enough purchasing power to, you know, combined with, of course, the fact that these disabilities um, have a real impact on their, you know, ability to function. Mm -hmm. um, so those folks we have, you know, but of course we can successfully house all of them. We, we've had a lot of success in housing people with disabilities, but it involves having a caseworker who helps to, you know, navigate, find the landlord, negotiate the lease, help the tenant move in, mm -hmm. and then continue to work with the person to be a good neighbor and to get connected to community-based services, supports, and and integrate with the community. So that takes a lot of work, and and um, you know, it costs about fifteen to eighteen thousand dollars per person per year. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so we just don't have enough of those slots. Mm -hmm. uh, and if we did, we probably wouldn't have nearly any uh, uh, long-term homeless people with disabilities. And then with the addicts, uh, you know, the, the ones that I've seen and talked to here that are homeless, they can't get into the treatment programs because they don't have the $30,000 a month to pay for it. Um, and I'm sure all the treatment programs that are public, like say, like a cadenzia, um, they're probably filled up. Is that correct? That's right. There's not, we're undersupplied in terms of treatment capacity on the mental health and on the substance abuse side. Uh, and the other thing is that, you know, if you're unstable in your housing, and particularly if you are outright homeless, um, your ability to, to maintain compliance with the treatment program is, is very difficult right? Uh, because you're, you know, forced to spend your days out on the street. And, and if you do have a shelter, you have to go into a facility. Um, they, they tend to be crowded. They're quite uncomfortable. Um, and it, it's just not a place where people can manage the recovery process. Mm -hmm. Uh, so now we've had real success, though, with um, what's called the housing first strategy, uh, which is basically because the, the, what doesn't work is it's the cart before the horse to say, oh, we want you to get clean and sober and then we'll put you in housing. Uh, it turns out that it's that doesn't work, but it does work to put people in housing and then uh, assist them with recovery as part of that transition into housing. Uh, and that is much more effective. Yeah, that sounds uh, that sounds um, very sensible, um, because as you say, for years it was always the other way around. Not all the homeless problem has been, um, uh, I guess, bad. I mean, the veterans have seemed to have gotten um, a pretty good reduction in homelessness among them. Why is that? So yeah, there's been a fifty percent drop in the number of uh, homeless veterans 
And that's because uh, the Obama administration, uh, you know, made a commitment that, you know, ending veteran homelessness was going to be the top priority of the VA. And the Congress, uh, you know, on a bipartisan basis, um, underwrote that uh, initiative and, and, and funded it well. Uh, I think uh, about 90,000 housing vouchers were committed to that effort. Uh, and an additional 350 million mm -hmm. was committed to helping people who had short-term homeless problems with uh, what's called a rapid rehousing program. It helps you with your first last month's rent security deposit and up to a year of rental assistance so you get back on your feet. Uh, and so the combination of those two programs, the permanent housing vouchers targeting chronically homeless veterans and the rapid rehousing to help the people to get out quickly, um, those are both serving, I would say, we're probably close to 300,000 people a year. Wow. Veterans are assisted in those programs. Wow. Uh, and uh, so that's had a substantial impact. I think the number, the latest number is somewhere around 33 or 34,000 veterans are still homeless. But, you know, that's down from uh, was over 80,000 for the initiative. Yeah. And so it sounds like that's the same kind of initiative we need for all homelessness, but there's not, I guess, the political will or the, I guess, the funds, as you're saying, to do it. That's right. It's there. There is not the political will for that. I mean, uh, so that right now, I think we spend about one point six billion dollars on homeless veterans and they're about eight, nine percent of the homeless population. Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, we spend the HUD spends about three billion. Um, that's what's called for in this year's budget, uh, three billion dollars for, you know, the 90 percent of the population. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's it's twice as much money as the veteran initiative, but it's got to serve nine times as many people. Wow. Uh, so, uh, yeah, there's just simply not enough funding to, uh, you know, have the impact we'd like to see. Now we're talking about affordable housing and D.C. and the nation's capital. I mean, that's our that's our uh, that's our home. Right. And uh, they have a homeless rate that is five times higher than the national average. And I you know, lived there for a little bit and their uh, problem was affordable housing. And there's an initiative to do housing deregulation. They say doing this could reduce San Francisco's homeless population, which is very large, by 50 percent. Tell us a little bit about housing deregulation and how it works. Basically, um, when people have analyzed, you know, let, I'll give you the example again, like Los Angeles, you know, it's costing Two hundred and fifty to three hundred thousand dollars to you know just fund an efficiency apartment to build you know that's all costs in uh, to develop you know an efficiency apartment in a building let's say um, that would be set aside for people who are homeless but that's a that's a huge per unit cost and uh, you know when people have analyzed that uh, a substantial part of the cost is due to regulations that are burdensome in terms of uh, development costs. Uh, but you also have sort of this uh, not in my backyard attitude. Mm -hmm. So zoning regulations um, are often in place to restrict, hmm. you know, the development of affordable housing. Mm -hmm. People don't want quote unquote affordable housing in their community because they want to remain 
exclusive or they want their neighborhood to remain exclusive. Mm -hmm. And so uh, regulations work in both ways, driving up the cost for the units that can be developed, but also excluding the growth of sufficient number of units. Um, so both of those are, you know, have a negative impact on supply. And it's interesting, and it's always the question I think everybody deals with, and I'm sure you've heard it a, a million times. If you're on the street and someone approaches you and asks you for money, do you give it to them? Is that helping them or is that hurting them? Well, I think that people have to make their own decisions uh, about that. And and, and uh, I certainly feel like uh, it's important to value the person um, that you see. And, and if someone who's homeless or asking you uh, for money, uh, I think more important than anything is to treat people with respect, to treat them with dignity, uh, acknowledge, acknowledge them. Um, you know, whether you want to give them money or not is a personal decision. I don't think that panhandling per se is, is going to help people to get out of homelessness unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, also, it would be, it's true that I think a significant portion of the people who panhandle aren't actually homeless, but mm-hmm. they're, um, they're sort of, performance, uh, having a performance. And uh, if they're in the right location, they can make 10 to $15 an hour. Mm. Um, so there are people who are posing mm-hmm. as homeless. Um, but I think the other thing to keep in mind is that most people who are homeless, you would not know that they're homeless. They're not visible. Mm-hmm. They're not in any way. They're not unkempt. Mm-hmm. They're not talking to themselves. Mm-hmm. They're not in clothes that you know haven't been washed in weeks or longer mm-hmm. um in fact most people strive very much to make sure that they look good that their clothes are clean mm-hmm. that they're staying you know have good hygiene because um they may be working they're looking for work uh they may be seeking romantic partners that mm-hmm. could be a way out of homelessness mm-hmm. for a lot of people so most people you wouldn't know that they were homeless and they don't panhandle because the last thing on earth they want is anyone to know that they are going through this time because it's, it's very embarrassing uh, to people uh, if, if it's known that they're homeless because it's so stigmatized in our, in our culture. And, and that, I guess that's the thing. I mean, we're, we're, uh, I think 70% of the people in this country, um, call themselves Christians, but there seems to be a lack of compassion. Uh, is it fatigue with this problem or is, I mean, or just people are just like, Hey, I got to take care of myself. You know, it's interesting because, um, I did a recent study looking at, you know, the, the revenue sources for these homeless provider organizations. And they get about 40% of their revenue from, um, you know, private donations. Mm-hmm. Uh, more than the federal government spends wow. on homelessness wow. comes in the form of private donations. It's, it's you know, close to, it's about $4 billion a year mm. uh, that, that, you know, private individuals are giving. But I think that as much reflects, yes, concern about the population, but also, um, many of these community organizations are uh, well respected and highly regarded in their communities, and they're very effective at fundraising. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, I think people want to help these organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't want to give money necessarily directly to people; mm-hmm. uh, they'd rather give it to these organizations. But you know, uh, it's it's not the most efficient way to go. That is to be sure. 
um, direct cash to people would be much more effective than paying all of these staff and buildings mm-hmm. to, you know, just temporarily serve these folks. But what can individuals do to address this issue? Is it to give to these organizations and, and you know, let the people who know what they're doing do it? Well, I think that, you know, it's to stay engaged on the issue uh, and to make it matter when, you know, you're talking to your elected officials, um, make it something that, you know, your Congress people, um, you know, know that you care about and that, um, you know, we do need a an affordable housing uh, policy in this country that is producing millions more units mm-hmm. uh, a year because we are, you know, we're in a housing supply and that, you know, yes, that problem trickles down and produces homelessness, but there are also a lot of people who are working hard, two jobs, many cases, or in a, in a, in a given family, there might be three people work, three jobs being worked, um, and they still can't afford a place to live. Mm. Uh, so the, pro- the affordability problem is, is far reaching. Uh, it goes way into the population beyond the homeless population. Uh, and, you know, if we do address that, um, it, it will also trickle down some of, you know, creating some units that are available for people who are homeless. So I say, okay, Professor Cohen, you are in charge of fixing homelessness in the nation. What do you recommend? I would go at it. Well, first of all, we, I think I distinguished between ending homelessness for the people who, who become homeless versus preventing homelessness among the people who are in, you know, vulnerable housing. Um, you know, we know, and the Veterans Initiative, I think, proved it, uh, we know how to get people out of homelessness. You know, whether it's chronically homeless people who get a voucher and the support services that help them get into a unit, hold on to a unit, that's one way. Uh, and the other is these rapid rehousing programs that help people who are short-term homeless get out and stay out quickly. Um, and those programs both run 85% effectiveness, they're just underfunded. Mm-hmm. And we would need uh, to at least uh, probably triple, if not quadruple, the the HUD budget uh, for homelessness mm-hmm. to have a meaningful impact on getting people out of homelessness. Mm-hmm. It's quite another matter uh, to prevent homelessness because the homeless assistance programs uh, really have nothing to do with the larger causes, which we've talked about, the housing affordability, and treatment access and that sort of thing. Um, so that requires working with what we would call sort of the larger safety net programs. Uh, and you know, the, the bigger price ticket, it has to serve a larger group of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, to prevent a person from becoming homeless, you probably have to serve five times as many people uh, you know, who need that service and aren't getting it. Uh, so that's gonna take a longer term commitment. For sure. Well, this was uh, very, very enlightening. Um, I appreciate you coming on to the podcast and I appreciate what you do um, in your work. Uh, You're doing some great stuff out there and you've got a handle on what needs to be done. And um, hopefully we'll we'll eventually get the political will to get it done. So thank you for joining with us today. Well, you're welcome. And thanks for having me on the program. And please pick up my book on homelessness, a children's book uh, to teach kids compassion for the homeless called Harry the Homeless Christmas Tree, available on Amazon.com. All the proceeds are dedicated 
the homeless agencies such as the St. Francis Inn, where Professor Colhane uh, first got his uh, work with the uh, homeless. We will be back next week with another edition of the Weekly Retail Politics Podcast. Please visit us on Apple Podcasts, and you can help greatly by writing a review of the show. Until we meet again next week, always remember to read beyond the headlines. Have a great week. Thank you.